Hello and welcome to Fast Charge episode four. Toddy here from Tech Advisor and this week I am joined by both Chris and Nyron. Now you might notice that we have an absentee in Dom who has been here for pretty much every episode I think of Fast Charge, maybe about one or two so far. Um, as we might have mentioned last week, which you might remember, uh, both he and Lewis are both off playing with their PlayStation 5s which I think is fair enough. Uh, it was a week, I think, later than the US for the PS5 launch here in the UK. So, of course, they took the time off to get some solid gaming in, which seems fair. Um, meanwhile, we are lumbered with actually a wealth of mobile news, a bit of a change. It's been quietening down recently, but it's actually nice. We've had a few things that have picked up again uh, this past week or so. So we're going to be kicking off with the biggest news, which I think is the, uh, the, the word that Huawei is going to be selling off the Honor sub-brand that it kicked off in 2013. Um, for a an unknown sum, but we're going to talk about the implications of that. Next up, we're going to talk about Oppo's Inno Day, which is their kind of annual innovations event that they hold each year, and some of the announcements that they uh, showcase at that event, which Chris has covered. Um, and then we're going to finish it with the Zep Z or Zep Z. Uh, we're undecided. Um, I guess as British people, we should be calling it the Zep Z. But uh, yes, that is the new wearable smartwatch from Zep or Huawei, or Amazfit, or someone. We'll clarify that <laughs> when we get to that section. But first of all, let's kick off with the uh, news that, yeah, Huawei is going to be selling off the Honor sub-brand. Um, first and foremost, what do you guys think about the headline? Were you expecting this? Was this a surprise to either of you? Were you like, yeah, that makes sense in the current climate? Mm, I didn't see it coming, but I didn't see any rumors of it happening. But maybe I just didn't follow the news that closely. Um Oh, I mean, when when they first launched, they sort of kept the whole uh, we're linked to Huawei thing a bit secret, didn't they? They were like, it's they, always they funny. Did. They've always like downplayed it at events, like when you're speaking to like even like you know, I've I've interviewed the head honcho, and he, he like you can see them always like physically <laughs> wince when they kind of you know talk about the fact that they are sort of technically affiliated to to Huawei. Um, I guess for those who don't know or aren't aware of just how deep this goes. Um, back in, I think it was March last year, uh, or May, I forget, one of the end months, um, the US government under the Trump administration put Huawei on the entity list. Its entity list is basically a list of um, businesses, I think it's just businesses, corporations from other countries, or, or internationally at least, that pose a risk to security in the eyes of the government. Um, one of the things that meant is that uh, American companies weren't allowed to do business with Huawei regarding certain things, or conversely, Huawei wasn't allowed to do business with certain US companies or use uh, US technologies, for example. This has since trickled through to its consumer products. Things like its smartphones have been the hardest hit, um, but also a bunch of networking infrastructure that the company has sold to various carriers and companies in both the US and the UK, for example. Um, all of it is either being stripped out or... Um, uh, modified, I guess. Uh, one of the, the kind of small saving graces recently is that the US has allowed Huawei to continue using, uh, doing some of its networking technology work as long as it doesn't include 5G infrastructure. Um, but generally speaking, this has basically prevented Huawei from continuing to push innovation, continuing to run its business. And it was on the up at the time in the smartphone market, as you guys probably are aware, um, in terms of, you know, taking on Samsung and Apple for the number one spot. I think it's it's number three right now. It was number two at one point and not one of them out. Um, but obviously that that pace has slowed dramatically as it's been unable to sell phones with Google mobile services. Um, and Honor 
has been hit by pretty much all of the same things. Whilst that brand focuses more on the consumer product stuff and not so much the networking, um, their phones too have been hit by this lack of um, Google services, which in the West or outside of China at least, makes those phones really hard to recommend, no matter how good the hardware is. Um, have you guys reviewed any of the, the Huawei or Honor devices recently that don't have Google on board? No. I, th- I think the last one I reviewed, I did the Nova 5T last year. Oh, yeah. I think that, that, was, that, was, that was, Yeah, because yeah. that was released after the Mate 30, but yes. it still had Google. So it was like one of the really very last ones. Yeah, I was there and for then the it's... Mate 30 launch and it was the first one once we, we got mm. it in that didn't have it. So the 5T was one of those phones that they'd already kind of prepared and had ready to go so it, it didn't get kind of culled by the by the end yeah, i guess yeah and it, it's it's frustrating where you always every time you get a huawei on a device you know almost what your conclusion to the review is going to be before you've written it you know yeah. that you can't recommend it to people yeah so and i think initially i found the timing a little bit strange because i think it was kind of widely accepted that this was kind of a trump thing and that oh it could be a democratic government in the US that that would all change. But then when I was reading into it, but it's not necessarily a foregone conclusion. It's not like Biden's going to rip that up necessarily. So it feels like at some point they needed to shift their brand away from being associated with Huawei. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I wonder which side of the business approached which in terms of Huawei was like, we're going to sell you off because you're just going to atrophy here. Or whether um, the Honor CEO came to Huawei as the parent company was like, look, we want to break away to survive. Um, mm. So it'd be interesting to get some insight on the inside if we ever get the chance to speak to the people who are involved in, in that decision-making, for sure. Um, one of the things that is happening is that uh, Honor is being sold to basically like a conglomerate of like 30-plus agents and and um, also I think the, the local city government for Shenzhen, I think it is, um, which is an interesting mix of organizations uh, and bodies to be running a smartphone company, I think. Um, there's not a huge amount of transparency as to just who everyone is on that list. We also don't know how much this this deal is, so we don't know how much Honor is worth in the eyes of this transaction, whether it's a cheap sale just to make sure that it can break away quickly and set up, or whether it's, you know, they're trying to go on actual market value of the company. Um, but yeah, technically this should allow Honor to... Um, it's currently reported that they're going to continue doing consumer smartphone stuff. So this should allow them to just make phones again uh, with all the bits and bobs that we're used to from before Google services, all that good stuff. Um, I'm wondering what this means for their internal hardware, because a lot of the honor phones currently use Huawei's Kirin chipsets. Uh, one of the very things that's been affected by the, um, the entity list is that, you know, these chipsets use arm uh, infrastructure and that is American. Uh, or it's actually British, excuse me, but it uses American technology. And, and that means that they can't build chips fast enough now, or they can't build any more chips um, past, I think, the Kirin 9000 that we've seen in the new Mate 40 Pro that we just reviewed. Um, so, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what kind of hardware Honor devices after the sale is complete bring to the table. Do you think they'll move to Qualcomm? I mean, I know they've used MediaTek in the past um, for their more affordable stuff. I would expect yeah. that. And yeah, I guess the only other option I would think of is Qualcomm. Um, yeah, so I assume so. Mm. We could see a Snapdragon 875 powered flagship in the new year. Who knows? I don't know how soon this is going to, how long this process is going to be. Um, yeah. I think the sale isn't like finalized yet, but it's definitely happening. No, but because the sale is it's not to like one company, is it? It's to like a bunch of different sort of... Yeah, like it's very strange. I don't know how that and... aspect works. 
It sounds a little bit strange from from reading your article, <laughs> but a little bit. It's, business can be a bit weird, can't it? Yeah, with all the the politics, I think that goes through. Um, it'd be curious to see where the power lies in terms of you know with all these different agents and investment firms involved uh how much autonomy the existing kind of like um hierarchy within honor uh retains how much control they retain over how the business is handled whether these guys are purely investors that don't have any influence or or, or have agreed to not influence the company's you know uh development and marketing or whether we're going to see a completely different company come out of this uh, that just doesn't feel or look like anything we've known from honor since it was you know first launched back in 2013 yeah because because back then the you know the devices did mirror the the Huawei ones a, a bit closer than more recently. I I I uh, haven't covered any that closely. I was there for like the 2013 when they first came around and was reviewing them for a few years, but not not over the last couple of years. So have they got a little bit more like different, or are they still sort of just the same phone in a different you know? Uh, I, I think for the most part from what i've seen um I, i'd say both dom and hannah have been our resident honor reviewers of late um but you know I, I was definitely covering them last year before i joined you guys here at ta um and that was the the first it was a really weird launch the honor 20 series um because you know they were going to see the samples and this is all whilst it was all happening with the US entity list and then they, they then were like, we can't give you samples because we need to sort some stuff out. And then eventually we got some of the devices. It was a, it was a bit of a mess. Um, but then I think was also a turning point in the design and hardware. We'd seen it with things like the View 20 that same year. So 2019, I think, was a good year to see on a kind of breaking away and having a little bit more individuality from the Huawei devices they were that their devices were based on. Um, so, yeah, to a point, I think they have forked already. But, you know, that's more a design um element you know that they'd also managed to change the name of the user experience to magic ui rather than emotion ui but ultimately it was the same thing underneath it's it's similar to say oppo's um color os versus realme's realme ui it's effectively the same but there's a few tweaks and changes that make one either better or just different to the other um so i think even if you know none of this had happened and everything was just business as usual we would have seen maybe more of a divergence anyway. This is only going to accelerate that, I imagine. I wondered if, Go on. Sorry, I was. I wondered if this might extend. Um, there'd be more design changes in like the laptops because obviously that was probably that was one of the main exceptions where they they were still allowed to use Windows. But then I think it's the the MateBook D and one of one of Huawei's laptops is like rebranded under the Honor name. And it's practically the same laptop. So I wondered if. Um, it might lead them to have more freedom and kind of experiment a bit more with their design in the laptop space as well. Uh, yeah, for sure. Chris, this might be more kind of your area of expertise, but mm. from what I understand, I've not reviewed any of them, but I know that we have like reviews on the site. The general opinion is that both the Huawei and the uh, Honor Windows laptops are all generally solid price performance balance as they stand. I don't know. I guess we'd see less integration, you know, with things like, the NFC to pay your phone and, and share your phone screen that might disappear if that's based on proprietary Huawei tech that Honor won't be able to carry over. Um, but yeah, I don't know what you think, Chris. Yeah, it's hard to say because obviously that side of things hasn't really been affected, um, you know, in the same way at all. 
So I suppose they'll carry on making laptops. Um, I've only reviewed Huawei laptops. I haven't reviewed any Honor ones, so I can't quite remember off the top of my head how similar they are. But um, I, I think, think they they're are pretty similar. They're pretty similar. Mm, yeah. So maybe, maybe they will have to start changing those to be more different. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it, it will kind of reveal maybe which patents and things um, Huawei's been applying for Honor devices in both software and hardware um, if they don't use them. Or, you know, there's a chance that as long as it doesn't, you know, affect the the rules of the, the US block, they might still pay Huawei a license to use some of those patents, maybe. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if that still happens. Uh, that would be a, a good actual source of income for Huawei, I imagine, on the side. Um, yeah. especially while this is, is going out. And, and to your point earlier, um, and I run about the new US government coming in uh, with the Biden administration, I'm uh, he's already been on record as saying, you know, he was going to walk back the tariffs that, you know, US companies would have to pay to work with Huawei or Chinese businesses um, that Trump's government had imposed. And then one of his aides later came out and said, well, hang on now, we're going to evaluate the tariffs. Mm. So Right now, it seems to be much more of a kind of softly, softly approach. They're going to look at it all and consider where they stand. I think it, it would be dangerous to just lift it completely like that in the eyes of maybe the public, because for the past, you know, three, four, two, well, past few years, let's say generally, I think uh, certain Chinese businesses have been uh, made examples of publicly in a way that kind of is designed to maybe instill a little bit of unrest um or, or at least sway public opinion in the u.s against those businesses um so i think to pull it off to, to pull the ban off and just say it's totally fine to do business again with these guys might cause upset so i think we'll have to wait and see but it, it'll be mm. very interesting to see how the new government handles that relationship and whether it actually allows huawei to kind of come back into the fold and do business as it once did. Mm, and I think I think I mentioned before whether has there been too much damage done to Huawei's reputation in the West? Because there's there's definitely a, a sense that um, some people just won't trust them now, just based on what has gone before. So they would have to work, I think, very hard to kind of restore faith in them as a company. I guess I guess mainly mainly in the phone market. Um, just when, like we, I think we've mentioned before, when loads of these other Chinese brands who have um, kind of filled that void and have kind of started releasing loads more phones, um, like in the UK and the US. So it will be be interesting to see if Huawei can kind of regain its standing should anything change. Yeah, one of the things um, I think is, you know, this has been long-term sustained damage to Huawei's like reputation. Uh, you could argue that the galaxy note 7 debacle a few years back where the phones just started blowing up was you know flash in the pan pr nightmare um but samsung was in full control to be able to kind of rectify that and damage control itself where obviously huawei has its hands tied in that regard um so yeah despite that maybe being a more extreme problem in the moment um and it obviously damaged samsung's reputation to a degree i think this slower um over time like sustained damage that that the brand has been receiving um especially in the us and from the us and you know we've seen that spill over to the uk as well in terms of how our government is is treating its relationship with huawei and, and the network technologies that it's got in place um yeah i think you're right i think it will be tough 
to uh yeah smooth things out anytime soon even if technically speaking they can carry on doing business as usual so we'll have to wait and see um i think that's good i think that was a good discussion about the potentials there obviously we have to wait and see what's going to happen with the u.s government we're going to have to wait and see what the sale means for both honor and huawei and how that affects their businesses respectively um we're probably not going to see the effects of any of this until 2021 realistically at the earliest uh, but still, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, but with that, I think we should move on to... A quick question. Uh, oh, yeah, go for it. This is from the comments. Just a, yeah, just... Wonderful. Um, Shrey said they could ask Samsung, question mark. I assume they mean uh, for to supply chips, Exynos chips for the phones. I think the issue with that is that um, whilst I, I, I get the logic, Samsung's Exynos chips, if I'm not mistaken, are also ARM-based. So the moment Huawei puts ARM tech in its phones irrespective of who's supplying it that still is an issue because they probably still paid a company to get acquire arm components and that in and of itself is is a no-no uh, on the entity list for all you know part of the restrictions of, of what this whole ban means um so as i understand it and i i, uh, I don't want to i haven't done the research on the internets of a samsung Huawei relationship specifically but i would imagine that would actually not be possible um at least with the current setup who knows, maybe that sort of thing would be possible in the year to come. Depending on how things change, we'll have to wait and see. Any more questions before we move on, Chris? No, that was it. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, in that case, I think we should move on to another Chinese company who's having, I'd say, a much better time of it overall, uh, which is Oppo. Uh, they We've mentioned some of their stuff in the past with their Inno Day or Innovation Day, uh, if you couldn't piece that one together. Um, but that is... Uh, Something that just happened this week, I believe it was, uh, was it Tuesday, Chris, this week in a day? Or was it yesterday? Uh, Tuesday, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, Chris. yeah. <laughs> I, it, I mean, it's yeah, still it's still chaos despite <laughs> the launches calming down. So we are still just holding together by the skin of our teeth here. Um, We're in we lockdown. Really Every day feels the same. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> but appreciate that you guys can join us today and tune in. Um, but yes, New Day 2020, uh, Oppo takes the time to show off a bunch of innovative technology some of which we might see in phones or other products, some of which is probably just pie-in-the-sky stuff. What did they showcase, Chris? Right. Well, full disclosure, this <clears throat> event happened because it's obviously in uh, Shenzhen, I think. Or, I think oh, no, maybe Beijing. Uh, Beijing, somewhere. Yeah. You know, China. China, far ahead of um, us, time-wise. <laughs> time-wise. So this was 8 o'clock in the morning here. And so I start. Nice I mean, I, start for you. I, I I started early, but full disclosure, I was very tired, and I did <laughs> I, I, I did have the dog running around to like distract me. Uh, we didn't actually get any new tech. No, we didn't get actually tech announcements in this live stream um, for about forty forty five minutes. Which I think wow. must be some sort of new record. How long was the like, total stream? Like an hour and quarter an hour <laughs> okay so some... over 50 percent maybe was, was yeah. no tech just chat uh, i mean it's like it's normal for a company to do a bit of a you know blurb type thing at the beginning of a stream and talk about you know i don't know how the company's been doing or some sort of new you know eco drive they're doing or something and then get into the news but this started with sort of a 30 40 minute uh sort of life story of the the chap on stage i can't remember his name i'm afraid <laughs> well i noticed um, they were talking for so long that 
the vo- the translator they swapped out the translator halfway through. <laughs> The translator did swap after a while, and, so and like then after, <laughs> yeah, and, and then they tagged in and out a couple more times. Actually, oh really? Uh, yeah, um, and the yeah. funny thing was, the the first guy really sounded like he talked in a sort of fat Tony from The Simpsons kind of voice, <laughs> which was very entertaining. Um, but yeah, the, the the guy on stage was talking about where he grew up in rural China and how they had to grow rice, and his mate was a contractor. Um, and then he went to college in 1992, um, and it was quite bizarre. And then eventually we got some tech. <laughs> I mean, is it that um, you know this was this was presented, spoken in Chinese, presented in Chinese? I presume, yeah. and, and to a Chinese you know audience, were there actually people there? I don't remember. Was there? there actual... were, yeah, yeah, there was probably like 50 odd people there. So maybe there was, yeah, physical yeah. audience. So maybe like yeah. Chinese audiences like the whole kind of theatre of it all and the life story stuff. I could believe yeah. that. Um, based on you know some of the events I've been to hosted by Chinese companies, they, yeah. they do like a bit of a kind of a narrative, I think, to bond mm. their press conferences together. So yeah, maybe that's why we had uh, forty-five minutes of preamble. It was quite. I, I didn't. I didn't watch this um, event last year or anything, so I didn't. I didn't really know what to expect. Mm. Um, but it was quite interesting. It was sort of a bit of philosophy. Then they started talking about the the firms like three plus n plus x strategy so we sort of went into like a weird maths algebra lesson uh, and is that to actually represent the strategy of like products and ecosystem is that yeah right? yeah something along those yeah. lines it was quite complicated um Sounds and like again it. again the dog was the dog was distracting me so I, I fully switched on when we finally got to the uh the tech bit which started off with like a, a 65 watt charger which is a bit of a letdown oh this but, is a, a very tiny travel <laughs> charger right yeah right? i think so yeah yeah, I wonder how many people are going to fork out for an extra travel charger. Obviously, like if Oppo goes the way of Apple and potentially Samsung and stops putting chargers in a box, yeah. that might go up. Yeah, I think the, the the chat on the YouTube channel was was just loads of people saying, "Oh, great for iPhone users." Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Um, and, and then and then the more interesting thing stuff came, uh, and and the headline, you know, uh, device was what was rumored before which is a, a rollable uh phone mm. so basically the next step if you like from a folding phone to have a device that converts from a small screen to a big screen um but instead of folding it in half you you extend the display um but like you know lg has got that rollable tv that mm. sort of comes up out the stand a um, bit like that, but in very, very small miniature form for a phone. I guess, my, is it is it like you just like pull it apart or is it is it motorized? You press a button I, and, it, and it, it pushes itself out. How does it work? It is motorized, yeah. It's got, uh, I have to check what they they call it exactly. Um, I've got the story but, up here, actually. I can yeah. take a look for you. But you're saying it's, it's two motors, is that right? There's two constant most motors, yeah, that apply yeah. force, which... So like yeah, it, they call it a scroll phone. So you know, it un it, un, it. it unravels like a scroll. But there's like this. I think there's like a touch sensitive um, button on the side or the top, which you can use to basically move it in and out. And it goes from six point four to seven point four inches. So it's not like the hugest. You know, it's not the biggest change of size, but it's a concept. It's not. It's not a million miles away from a Galaxy Z Fold, though Z Fold Two. Mm, that yeah, regard. that's true. Like Seven yeah. point something. So that's. I'd say that's a pretty decent 
improvement. I guess the challenge for me, which is the same with the Z Fold 2, would be the aspect ratio. Yeah. Knowing how to best utilize that kind of more squared aspect ratio. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't just move between those two sizes. You can, you can sort of tell it when to stop and start. So oh, they so showed it's variable across the whole yeah, range. Yeah, it can be any oh. size um, in between those two. So they showed it. I mean, lots of the demos of it moving just show it going from minimum to maximum. But they showed it with uh, a movie on, you know, when it's minimum and uh, watching it in landscape and then opening it up a bit more and showing some game. Although I'm not sure why you'd want to play a game in more like sort of four by three uh or what, what mobile games come in that aspect ratio mm. um and then you know for what asphalt will run <laughs> any aspect ratio yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then opening it up even more to like you know read an ebook or and then you know full size or possibly as well as full size just multitasking different apps mm. uh, on the same screen so yeah it, seem, it seems you can move it however much you want and in some of the demos i saw or videos I saw on Twitter after after the event, the you know the video somebody was watching just automatically adjusted as the screen got bigger, basically. Okay. So it, it looks pretty cool. Like it's got like this sort of uh, I can't remember what they call it a warp, warp track. They basically okay. they they likened it to a tank track, so it's got like reinforced. Um, segments i guess lam laminate yeah so okay. basically and then oh yeah and and then also underneath the display is uh, a split like um basically like slats you know like bed slats yeah <laughs> but but made of metal so they they interweave like that when oh, okay when mm. when the when the phone is closed and then when it opens up they come apart so you've got like alternate on either side so it keeps the display flat and the kind of pressure um, is easily distributed. Yeah. I see, I see. Very strange. I've not really seen, uh, you know, I'm aware of the rollable TV that LG's done. I think they've teased a rollable phone of their own after they announced the LG Wing and kind of what that represented. Um, mm. We've seen a rollable concept or a scroll, scroll phone form um, in the same avenue as the, the Oppo X 2021 in tcl did a bunch of different display mm. concepts i think EFA last year slash ces this year um right. they had like a, a three hinge folding like a trifold design and also one of them was this pull out thing but it was it, you know it wasn't a functioning phone it was just basically a display with some components to make the display run and that was about it um but yeah uh, i guess oppo in my opinion would probably be the best poise to actually bring a phone to market that uses this tech first them or huawei but obviously we just had a whole conversation about how they're probably not going to be spending money on a very expensive prototypey rollable anytime soon. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I, I guess that's the thing where we, we look at these kind of concepts and I, I mean, I'm not aware of how good like Oppo's track record is with showing off things and then them actually coming to mass market. But I, I like this, it's it's nice to see that these manufacturers aren't doing having all having the same attitude to like the next what's next in smartphones. Yeah. So obviously some have gone down the foldable route. Like you, you just spoke about the LG Wing with its like rotating second screen, and then Oppo with the, the scroll phone. So it's it's all it's all good for competition. Obviously, it's it's unlikely they're going to have to kind of market it really well if it ever came 
to say like this is what you can use it for and this is why it's better than a regular phone or a foldable but i, I like that these, some of these companies are, aren't scared to just try completely wacky form factors yeah and i mean it makes it more interesting for us as well <laughs> for sure and also it breeds innovation even if this isn't the design that like you know that settles into the market it might lead to just better flexible technology even if it's mm. not for the screens if, if the device itself can flex in some other way um you know maybe it's going to lead to something else and that's i think what that's what i think the inno day is kind of about is that you know this isn't stuff we're going to launch necessarily it's just stuff we can do right now with the technology we have available to us and we're going to see how we can apply that um so yeah because they also showed off and i don't want to dwell too much on this but the ar glasses as well which they showed yeah. off previously but these are better ones yeah i didn't to be perfectly honest know anything about the original ones um but these new ones are 70 percent lighter and they connect to your phone and use that for its processing power um is it like um, a hololens kind of like projected display do we know how it's like showing sounds like it yeah they said it's like looking at a 90 inch screen from three meters away cool so i mean if they look cool if you if you're into ar um uh, and you don't mind connecting them to a phone for power. Mm, yeah, something. Uh, so that's the the CPU is from the phone. Then is it the processing? Yeah, is taken? yeah. Uh, okay, so, so it's the, more like an accessory. Yeah, a bit like when LG, LG yeah, did the. the yeah. I mean, they, they were so bad. But uh, let's yeah, let's not go too much on a tangent. Yeah, um, the LG G five <laughs> modular accessory that's for it, ambitious. Yeah. If a bit yeah. misguided, I would say, and the VR yeah, headset yeah. that plugged into the phone was not necessarily the the best solution, I think, for mobile VR. Yeah, as Samsung yeah. then kind of quickly proved. Um, but yeah, the the phone I think is interesting. I'd love to see a device like that come to market. I don't know whether the scrollable form factor is the right form factor for a transforming phone. Um, I don't know whether I need to kind of start prepping a best scrollables feature. Like, are we there yet? I don't know. Um, I mean, I LG, <laughs> did you mention already that LG teased one at the Wing event? Well, did I was you... saying that the Wing yeah. was kind of the first in what was apparently a line of these kind of more ambitious, outlandish <laughs> yeah. smartphone designs, which I'm all for, kind of like you were saying in Iron, like it breeds creativity and competition in the right way. Um, so, yeah, if not Oppo, then I would assume LG might be crazy enough to bring one to market. You know, the fact they've put the Wing out in the market, the fact they've been pushing yeah. these dual screen devices with these like you know secondary screen attachments um, well yeah lg yeah. is working on one um they did a they did a little teaser at the end of the wing launch um showing like a rollable phone basically well in i think it's called it, project b it's part of the explorer right. range isn't it that's yeah. it the explorer range yeah yeah so i guess it's a case of who's first in that case yeah and you know I mean, tcl might do it as we were yeah. seeing they've got a concept we don't know yeah a small uh, question from the chat Mm. says compared to the Z Fold 2, which seems more stable, intuitive, and long-lasting. Um, I mean, I haven't seen either of the Z Folds. Um, and this is only a concept, so it's, it's kind of a hard question to answer. But I think the positive thing from the Inno day was that they had lots of samples that were fully working. Um yeah that you know they they had a demo area the people that were actually physically at this event were like encouraged to go play with them and you know when a company is confident to let people go 
you know um see a concept put, put these things yeah put these things to test in real life that's always a really good sign uh you know we've been to countless events where uh, a company's announced something cool and then you find out that there's one inside a plastic box that, you, that isn't e- that isn't even switched on yeah you know so the fact that they had lots of working you know multiple working models is is pretty cool i mean i saw that come to pass with the original galaxy fold like at, i think was it nwc or just after they announced it at their own event they had it on their booth but it was one in a glass case on this huge booth and they had one phone for like mm. the entirety of a whole like conference and it just was like motorized, just opening and closing all day long. And that was about it. Um, and then, you know, sure enough, the phone then turned out to be a bit fragile. Uh, but as a counterpoint to what you're saying about, you know, obviously there is clearly confidence in this, you know, being letting journalists get hands on with this prototype as it currently stands. Um, the Z Fold 2, you know, people have already talked about how much it's an improvement on the original in terms of its engineering. Um and you know that is technically a second-gen foldable product. Whether where, whereas, if Oppo launched this as a consumer product, that would be the first gen, whatever that that phone is called. If it's called the Oppo X twenty twenty one, whatever, that would be the first gen. And I would assume it would have issues um, just because sometimes you know engineering teams don't foresee all the eventualities that their products are going to be put into, and obviously they can't cater to every one of those, but. You know, it's some simple stuff like, you know, the Z Fold 2 now has brushes on the hinge, whereas the Galaxy Fold didn't. And that was to stop any dirt getting in there or, or minimizing that. They'd have to think of something similar, I imagine, for a screen that kind of rolls out of your phone, you know. So, yeah. Uh, interested to see what changes between the prototype that you, you've just been shown and a consumer product whenever it is that that launches. Um, with that in mind, I think we should make a move to our final topic of the day, which is the Zep Z or Zep Z, depending on how you want to play it. I mean, we're in the UK, like I said at the start of the, the show, so I'm going to go with Zep Z, but Zep Z does kind of sound cooler. Mm. I don't know what you think about this one, and Iron, you covered this story. So, in your in yeah. your head, what were you saying when you were writing Zep Z? Zep I was saying Zep Z, but okay, then cool. right. if I was going to say it out loud, I think Zep Z has a, it does have a ring to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, add to that the company name. Is it a Mazfit, a Mazefit? There's also Farm That's what I was asking. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, um, so, uh, yeah, just for a bit of context first. So, um, Kwame, who's, who, um, who now owns the Zep brand, it's released loads of the last few years. So I think it's seven years old, the company now, and it's released loads of, um, different types of wearables under the Amazfit or Amazfit brand. Um, but then I think a couple of months ago, it rebranded its like companion app to Zep. So then there, were, there was a little bit of uncertainty, like, oh, what's going to happen next? Is it, is everything, if everything, is all of Huawei's, um, Huami's, um, <laughs> not I Huawei. always type Huawei when I mean to write <laughs> Always, without are all of, way. It's too similar. <laughs> too similar. <laughs> are, are all of their wearables going to come under the Zep brand? But now what it seems like is, the Zep brand is going to be for the more kind of premium high-end wearables, and they're going to they're, they're going to keep this Amazfit um, brand for kind of the cheaper, the more everyday kind of things. So with that so, in mind, sorry, go ahead. So can we see Zep um, and Amazfit underneath Huawei? 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 
Huawei as sub brands in the same sense that you know Oppo has Realme or or more specifically like Huawei had Honor is is it kind of that relationship would you say from what you've read? It feels like it, yeah. yeah. yeah that's definitely the sense you get from doing the research and what mm. where they're moving forward. So so this was the ZepZ or ZepZ, wherever you want to say. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with Zep for now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Z- ZepZ I find more natural to say, so I'll stick with that. Um, so this is their their second wearable under the under the Zep brand. So the first one was very shortly after the app was rebranded. That was kind of a little bit more affordable, kind of around the two hundred pound mark. This is, I mean, we don't we don't have a um, a UK price. Uh, this one's uh, about three hundred and fifty dollars. So it's definitely more in the premium range. And then at that price, you have to start looking at um, the Apple Watch and the Galaxy Watch kind of come into play. So with that in mind, it's, it's you know, I, there wasn't any obvious features it's missing. So it's got um, 24-7 heart rate monitoring. And I know, and they did particularly stress um, about the accuracy of the, the tracker they used to monitor it because I know... Because there's been the term bio tracker by any chance. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I can see the uh, screen flash up as you check tabs quickly. Yeah, I, I, I don't because uh, I reviewed some of the Amazfit watches, and that's the kind of their brand for their PPG optical heart rate sensor. Right. It's called Bio Tracker. Mm. So I was wondering just how much of that kind of branding and stuff is carrying across these Zep watches, or whether it's gonna they're trying to make it very distinctly separate because it's a more premium brand. That's why I was asking. Yeah, no, I think I think they're separating. I don't, I didn't, I definitely didn't get that name when in the research. Mm-hmm. And then it's got like the twelve exercise modes, um, well, the fifteen day battery life. But then they they say it can go up to thirty if for basic use. I guess that's involving if you're not doing fitness tracking and things like that. Probably turn off GPS. That kind yeah, of yeah, all the things that you want to keep on really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and I, the the other thing I got, especially from the the product images, they want to make it look like a normal watch as much as possible. So there's 50 watch faces, I think, in total, but the one they chose was to make it look very much like indistinguishable from what would be a traditional um, mm. non-smartwatch, to say. Um, but yeah, so it's got, um, so obviously works with the companion app, gives you lots of data, uh, monitors your stress levels, sleep tracking, blood oxygen levels. Um, so the sense I got is that it was really kind of packing as many different kind of wellness features into this one watch. Yeah. Um, but then it kind of remains to be seen. One, I guess, whether people will buy this over like a Samsung or an Apple Watch, which will be very, very difficult. And two, um, whether it kind of delivers on these claims, whether it will be able to effectively track these huge range of exercise modes and things like that, um, which I guess you can't really get until you test it out. Yeah, do you know, have we had any conversations yet? Do you know if we're going to be able to review it yet or is it too soon to say? Yeah, no. So, so I'll, I will be reviewing it in the next few weeks. It's been awesome. So sent out, which stay is great. tuned to the website if you want to see yeah. what the actual ZepZ turns out to be like. Um, I guess the things I'm curious about then is you know because as I said, having reviewed the Amazfit stuff, which now looks like it's it's kind of going to be segmented as their more affordable wearables um, as a sub brand, uh, where that extra cost comes whether they're just putting any stock in just the brand name and by buying zep you should pay a premium to buy a zep watch or whether it's just that they've justified it through just how many features this watch has or its design or those 50 watch faces that they had to design or, or you know where does the money go um, mm. 
in terms of this this more premium experience that they're obviously trying to push here so like is that evident in anything you you when you're researching this I, th- I, I, I think that's mainly in the design so they specified it being made from a titanium alloy which and then there's a nanotech coating on the face so i think it's more than like all the premium. buzzwords yeah <laughs> so it's kind of like all those the premium high-end materials which will make it i guess look and feel that bit more premium it depends yeah because um, i guess some for some people that won't matter and then the amazement brand will be will still do everything they need it to do but then there's certain people who might um incorporate i don't know a watch into part of their style it'd be a fashion statement as much as um, actually performing its function so there's definitely a market for it. it just it remains to be seen whether they can um kind of get the level of interest behind it mm. um i think the, uh, the difficulty that i'm having is that one the amazement brand has kind of got the reputation um who i mean it's got their the reputation but then they want to make it a separate brand so you don't want to lean on that brand too much so it'll kind of be a tricky situation for them yeah, no, for sure. I wholly agree on that one. Um, I, I'm curious to see, yeah, how the pricing uh, sits with people uh, who have paid for Amazfit watches in the past, which are, you know, known to be affordable. Uh, if they know that this is from the same company, whether they're going to be comfortable paying that that extra um, mm. for the premium design. Obviously, titanium alloy is some, something we saw in the... I think we've seen it in Apple Watches, or that might just be pure titanium. I'm not entirely sure. They they just call it titanium. Uh, we've seen it in the uh, Huawei Watch GT2 Pro, which I reviewed recently. That was a titanium body as well. It seems to be like the hallmark of a premium smartwatch. Mm-hmm. If, if this is undercutting those watches, that may be enough of a reason. I, I, I guess it remains to be seen. We'd have to kind of see... Um, once it's on sale, is it on sale now, or is it is it coming soon? You know? No, I think that that was the strange bit. There was one thing we didn't get was the release date. So um, it's coming. We just don't. So know it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. But I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely on the way, and, I'm, and I think it's coming to the UK. Although we didn't obviously we didn't get UK pricing, which would be interesting because I know particularly with Apple watches and some of the Apple products, they tend to like keep the dollars and the pounds the same despite mm. the exchange rate. Mm. Um, so hopefully um, it'll be a little bit even more, a little bit more affordable uh, in the UK, kind of kind of undercut those really high end watches. Because how how much is the the Apple Watch SE? The is SE. that like that's like two six nine, is it? Or... Uh, that sounds right. I'm just going to go check right now. Because you know that's a spanner in the works. If they mm. go above that and it doesn't have, you know, a lot more to offer. Yeah, two six nine pounds, and also yeah. you know there's there's things to be said about the ecosystem here like obviously uh, yes we have a question in the chat which, okay sure. uh, which which says i'm wondering how is the zep software experience the watch and the app i mean yes yeah, so, so i haven't no we I haven't, haven't yeah it, i but... haven't tested one but from everything i got i got the impression it was really fully featured app it's got lots of um functionality and also there was quite a focus on kind of tips to improve so like if you didn't get the best night's sleep it would have really tailored advice but obviously I can kind of circle back on that one uh, in a few weeks to kind of um, give a better indication of how well they work together. And because I think one of the other things is where um, like wearables lean a little bit too much on the smartphone. So they have to always be, the smartphone has to always be connected, but then like the Apple Watch has become kind of um, like a, it can be completely standalone from the iPhone. So I get that's probably one of the other things to consider as well. Yeah, I'm curious um, about the 
software integration with third party stuff as well. You know, some some smartwatches and fitness trackers they work with um, is it like Runkeeper or any of those kind of additional sports and fitness apps for whatever activities you like doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my experience, cheaper trackers that's one of the areas where they usually skip out on stuff. They just don't worry about those partnerships. They just plug you into their little ecosystem of fitness tracking. And as long as you're happy within that little like walled garden, as it were, mm-hmm. um, you know, then, then it's a worthwhile buy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've just noticed in the chat, Chris, about this question about Qi wireless charging as well. So I was going to yeah. quickly nip over because I believe Zep actually has the product page live on the site, even though it's not um, available to buy. <laughs> So I don't know if you know an iron off the top of your head. How does this watch charge? Is it induction or is it um, contact based? Oh, I, I didn't get that. I mean, it wasn't mentioned in the press materials. They didn't maybe want to draw attention to it, but I don't. Looking, I'm not sure. Looking at the website, um, it looks like it's a metal ring around the heart rate sensor. So it's probably omnidirectional. Um, so you don't have to worry about which way around it, it slots into its charging base. But um, it looks like it's contact-based, not induction, hmm. just FYI. So there probably are going to be some metal contacts on the charger. That's just going off the press images that we have access to right now. Obviously, once we have the watch, we'll be able to show you it on the charger, off the charger, all that good stuff. So if you want to know more, you can stay tuned for the review in that regard. Um, uh, I guess I would ask you both, like, where do you think the wearable space is right now and whether there's room for a company like Zep slash slash Huawei to come in at this kind of low premium, if if that's mm. the right segment to call it. I don't know. It doesn't really have a name. Um, yeah. What do you think about a watch like this in the current wearables landscape? I'd say this is an awkward one. I mean, mm. I'm, I don't cover wearable stuff that much um, for full disclosure. So don't listen to me, but um... <laughs> you're allowed to have an opinion. Though, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <That's all> right. <laughs> this is, this is my, non-expert opinion uh, hot take yeah but <laughs> i think it's a bit of an odd one because i get that they don't they perhaps don't want to put out an amaze fit product at this sort of price and and everybody be like what amaze fit's supposed to be cheap like and but at the same time i'm not sure putting it out under a completely new brand you know that i to be honest i didn't even know these two brands were linked at first when i first heard about it i mean i, I not, first heard yeah. about it because i had the amazfit app and then it became the Zip right. app on my phone while i was reviewing an amazfit watch <laughs> yeah. and i was like oh okay fair enough i'm not yeah i'm just not convinced that's the best move i mm. think maybe they could have even just put the two together like amazfit zep like a premium version of amazfit like maybe something like that would have worked better but mm-hmm. it is it's you know it's a tough market out there when you've got apple launching an SE this year. The SE, uh, I think, has really messed up a lot of the other wearable manufacturers out there who weren't worrying about trying to compete in that yeah. premium smartwatch space. And even if you're not an iPhone user, you know, that that means that the Apple Watch is the obvious choice. If you're on Android, you know, there are still some decent ones, Samsung, Huawei, and, yeah, yeah. I'm, not convi- I'm not convinced this is, yeah, going to do, going to sell bucket loads, but... I mm. might be wrong. Mm. Yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. I'm just going to pick up a point on what Chris was saying about. Um, it's interesting that there was, I think it was only two or three months ago there was a new Amazfit. I think the Amazfit Stratos 2S, and that's $233. So it kind of went against the, if they are going to separate the two brands into this really budget and this premium brand. 
that that's kind of somewhere is like a halfway house in between. Um, but in general, I think uh, it's kind of easier to compete to like pack as many like pack as many features in at a low cost. But then once you go to this premium thing, people have really high expectations. They want it to work with all their devices. They want it to be able to do everything really well, to have really long battery life. Um, and if it falls down on any one of those things, it's unlikely to be successful. Um, so it's obviously part of the, the next stage of their expansion. Um, but I think I'd, I'd tend to agree with Chris that you'd want to get you want to get the Amazfit brand in there so people kind of know, oh, right, they've produced these wearables in the past, which have been pretty good. But then also to establish this as its own premium brand. But I guess time will tell. Yeah, I guess the, the, the success of the brand will, will be based on people's awareness of Amazfit and like the wider company infrastructure that they've got in place already and see how that manifests in this new sub-brand. Um, I, I think that's that's uh, that's a good place to call it, guys. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, join us today and for everyone on the stream. Thank you for your questions. Thanks for tuning in. Um, if you have any more from this episode, you can always hit us up on Twitter at TechAdvisorUK. Uh, and we will, of course, be back next week, maybe with Dom and Lewis if they haven't been sucked into PS5 land uh, forever. Uh, we won't yet know until we see them again. And if we see them again. So yeah, with that in mind, thank you guys so much for joining us. And uh yeah, we'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye. Bye guys. Bye.